This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. So Sunday, the 7th of November, coming towards the end of the retreat. And uh, this is my closing talk on which I've entitled Non-Duality in a Nutshell. I'll just bring up that, um, that sort of triangle I handed out about the uh, stages of practice as well. And uh, I'll be um, basically using that to summarize the journey that we've been on during this retreat. So um, as we talked about, we've moved from the, uh, the uh, place where we all start with the, the, se the sense of the egocentric self living in the world of duality, subject-object duality. And that's in the left-hand corner of the triangle down the bottom. We're moving across to the, we moved across to the right-hand corner of the no-self and the observer-witness, and then up to the apex of the triangle, the no-self-self, -self, and then back down again to how we integrate the, uh, the egocentric self into the no-self-self. -self or how we integrate the shadow as it's sometimes talked about, or how we integrate uh, Zen and psychotherapy practice. So the stage of the egocentric self is where we all start off and, uh, and we're all uh, at, at, at some points in our lives engaged in the activity of the separate self, which we could actually define as suffering, caught up in desire on the one hand or aversion in the other hand as the definition of psychological suffering. In other words, we live lives of discontent and then we get some relief from the discontent when we experience some sense of temporary happiness when we achieve a goal or are able to um, achieve some kind of uh, accomplishment or, and so on. But these, these, these kinds of temporary happinesses come and go and we're often left continually searching and probably more important than anything else is that we're always caught up in the dualistic world and today we'll just focus on the dualism between subject and object so subject and object duality so when we chant together caught in the self-centered dream that could simply be translated as caught in a dualistic dream of me in here and you out there i mean all these objects out there and uh, which I experienced myself as being separate to. So we begin to seek um, because of, by definition, when we're caught in duality, we will experience suffering. We will experience discontent. We will experience fear and anxiety. It just goes with the human condition of, of being caught in the, in the self-centered dream. <clears throat> So, from, in the Buddhist terminology, 
Hopefully the seeking develops in what's called the wayfinding mind. And the wayfinding mind often, if it's in the Zen tradition, it might be in a different tradition, but we'll just use the example of the Zen tradition. So the wayfinding mind eventually leads us to a, a Zendo or a Sangha. And we start to practice. So that moves us to the, the next stage in the, in the right-hand side of the triangle. And the way I summarized that was the chapter from Joko Beck's first book called Building a Bigger Container. We talked about how Joko describes in that book how we cultivate the observer self. And as we cultivate the observer self, we start to realize that clearly we are not our thoughts or our feelings. Our thoughts and our feelings are coming and going. We realize the impermanency of the egocentric self. We realize that the egocentric self has different parts and different subpersonalities. And uh, as we continue to practice in that way, we start to realize what we might call no self no permanent self in that respect everything's in continuous flux feelings and thoughts and emotions coming and going depending on what situation we're in sometimes they may have particular patterns that get repeated so and uh, as we we get to know ourselves when joko's methodology by continuing to observe ourselves in those situations by labeling our thoughts or labeling our feelings and seeing where our reactions lie and we talked about the kind of window of tolerance or the the, the the building the bigger container and the practice being on the edges of that so when we get upset or reactive we're on our edge and that's the good place to practice we continue in that uh, along that path and we start to ask well who am I if I'm not my thoughts? And who am I if I'm not my feelings? The bigger container gets bigger and bigger until it expands in what we might call the metaphor that Shunru Suzuki uses called big mind or boundless awareness. So we're moving to the top of the triangle now. And uh, we can then hopefully realize or recognize what's sometimes called in Zen the true self, or we can call it the no self self. This is the land of non-duality or Dharmakaya, the body of the Buddha, or simply just this. We can see that we are the, uh, the white screen, if you like, um, and we can then enjoy the movie which appears on the screen of our everyday lives without overly identifying with the leading role, without overly getting caught up in the soap opera of our lives in that regards. And as we are exploring the realization of this no self self, one of, one of the beautiful uh, quotations that expresses that is from a, a, a teacher in the Avaita tradition called uh, Nizagadatta Mahaji. Ma, um, he was, this book was one of Joko's favorite books, I Am That. And you're probably all familiar with this quote. Wisdom is knowing I am nothing. Love is knowing I am everything. And between the two, my life moves. Wisdom is knowing I am nothing. 
Love is knowing I am everything, and between the two my life moves. This is the union of emptiness and form. And then we, but as we talked about, that kind of realization or recognition of our true self is not enough. Um, we need also to then draw upon that self to come back to uh, the different sort of what we talked about in terms of the internal family systems model, the different parts of the personality, the parts of ourselves that may have been exiled, that are carrying burdens, traumatic burdens from the past, shame, fear, core beliefs of not being good enough or not lovable, and the various ways in which protected parts are formed around those exiled parts that keep us separate from other people, that keep that defensive barrier in place. So we, we can then draw upon the, the self and to start to interrelate with the parts. And uh, so that process of integrating self with the parts and bringing about more harmonization within our personality is a, a, lifelong, a lifelong journey and probably never comes to an end. But the more we're able to access the self, the more flexibility and freedom we have to move between being in the dualistic world and at the same time accessing self. So relating subject to subject, but also seeing that, that, that we don't lose that sense of self while we're doing that. But obviously there will be times when we do become blended with a part and we do become overly identified and we get pulled back into a part view reality we become part led again rather than self-led and that's just part of the process of being able to recognize that on a regular basis so in terms of the that's the kind of theory in terms of the practical level then we talked about i just want to talk about non-duality and meditation practice and non-duality and therapy or non-duality and everyday life so non-duality and meditation practice there are basically two methods of collapsing the duality we are conditioned to experience between subject and object we can approach non-duality from two different directions sometimes referred to as the forward step and sometimes referred to as the backward step so the first method is when the subject collapses into the object. So that's the meditation method that's referred to as focusing or concentrating on an object. You'll find that throughout the Buddhist world and other traditions as well. So the object might be counting the breath, following the breath, like the rising and falling of the abdomen, or focusing on one word, like one, or now, or move. If we practice that continuously enough, especially during a retreat, we eventually, we as a separate self disappear into the object. We become the breath. We become move. Rather than following the breath, the breath breathes the breath rather than focusing on moo, moo breathes moo. 
or sometimes as you will as you would have you know read in the zen stories sometimes it can be a, a, a spontaneous opening that occurs where someone spontaneously becomes the sound like the sound of a pebble being hit or the sound of a piece of fruit falling on the ground or we might become the chirping of the cicadas. We suddenly disappear into the chirping and we're just the chirping. Or we might become the flowering bush. Again, this is an example of the union of form and emptiness, a non-dual experience, if we can express it in that way. So that's the, the first method or the first way in which we experience non-duality, the subject collapses into the object. There's also an intermediate or in-between stage, which we could call, which leads to the next method, which is objectless meditation. The in-between stage is what Joko talks a lot about, where we might be labeling our thoughts while at the same time following the breath, while at the same time hearing sounds. So we could be actually balancing and focusing on three different sort of areas there, like focusing on our thoughts while we're focusing on the breath, while we're focusing on the sounds, kind of like an intermediate stage. The third method of um, collapsing into non-duality is when the object collapses into the subject. So this is called objectless meditation. And uh, just sitting, shikantaza, um, these are forms of objectless meditation. What Dogen refers to as taking the backward step. Sometimes an inquiry question can help with that, such as who is hearing. In this particular practice, we become one with the emptiness or the boundless awareness that we are, the luminous mind of emptiness. And we see clearly that all appearances are inseparable from awareness. So we, the subject just grows bigger and all the objects are then seen as appearing in the subject. Again, that's another example of the union of form and emptiness only seen from the other side. In terms of non-duality and therapy, um, we've discussed um, the work of the, uh, the model of therapy called internal family systems. And just to summarize this, I couldn't do it better than just read out a quote from a teacher called Locke Kelly who also practices as a therapist. And he gives a really nice description of self here and parts. I'll just read it out to you. Self is you, but not the you that you often think you are. Self is the I am without I am this or that. Self is not the thinker. Self is not your personality, not your ego or observing ego, 
not a hypnotic or altered state, not an image or your imagination, not an archetype or separate soul, not a guide or inner voice, not solely an energy, not an entity or the human person that you are today. Self is neither meditator nor detached mindful witness. Self is aware of all these experiences, states and parts. Self is inherent within them and includes them. Self is not created, developed or conditioned. Self simply is. Everyone is already self. Self is within us, around us and is us. It is who we truly are. Self is closer than our breath and self-like breath happens automatically, spontaneously, without any effort. Self feels centered, but not centered in our head or a distinct part. Many people say it feels like a centerless center, which is both embodied and free. Self is essentially the same within each of us, and each person is a unique expression of self. Self is inherent within us, even when the clouds of our beliefs, emotions, feelings, perceptions, and identifications obscure it. Self loves and can safeguard all parts. Self is also within all parts. Self can know parts, just as parts can learn to know self. Self is our natural context, which is always present, but can become hidden when blended with our parts. Discovering the fullness of self is described by many people as returning home. Losing a sense of self is often the feeling of being contracted into a point of view, blended with a part that sits in the seat of I, so the part believes it is me. Self is what is here when everything else falls away. Self doesn't try to exist. Self is beyond the qualities, states, beliefs, emotions, expressions, or identities that we cycle through. Self is the constant. For many people, self first reveals itself in silence when the noise falls away. Self is extraordinary simple. Self has no agenda, no striving, no grasping, no aversion. It needs nothing because it is and has everything. Self is the foundation before the identity we wear, like the nakedness before the clothing that we put on. We often think the clothing is me, but self is the naked awareness under this me. When we talk about ego personality self, we're talking about the clothing or each of the articles of clothing because there are often many component parts. As we come to experience life increasingly from our interconnected self, we notice the parts of us that come and go. We can observe, get to know and care for these parts. So in the same way then when we bring that kind of understanding into our everyday life, 
We continue to continue to remember who you are as much as you can. Try to recognize self within your everyday life. Even stop every now and again. Just stop and simply remember who you are. And at the same time, notice when you get blended into a part, when you start to experience yourself from the perspective and consciousness of a part. And then again, notice that and then hopefully unblend from the part and start to relate to your parts from the self. So that in a nutshell is the kind of ground we covered on the retreat. So thank you for your listening.